All right. Well, we're starting our recording here. Um, my name is Ray Adriano. I'm here with Alan Plyler, and uh, we're just going to riff on a few things. This is our inaugural recording for Avoid Crisis, a podcast, a new podcast titled Avoid Crisis. We're going to touch on a number of topics, primarily focused on finance and business finance. Um, but it will drift into other areas as episodes go on. Um, Alan, you want to have a word about what we're trying to do here and uh, maybe introduce yourself and your background? Well, sure. Well, uh, you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to help people understand situations that can, first of all, perhaps lead to a crisis and how do you avoid that? And then we're also going to talk about, uh, where we've seen some evidences of crisis and try to make some observations with that. Um, maybe have some, some suggestions that uh, might help some people that are currently facing this particular uh, incident that we're talking about potentially today. And I'll let you introduce that topic later. As far as my background, um, I'm going to go all the way back to college where um, I focused on business and uh, also did a lot of work in accounting but at the same time was uh, very interested in journalism. I became the editor of my college newspaper. So I've always had an interest in media. I wrote for the Chicago Sun-Times as well as a number of other different uh, periodicals and, and uh, newspapers um, as a freelancer. And so I've always had an interest in journalism and journalism in whatever form it takes, and that includes podcasts. So um, my work for a number of years has been with financial institutions i uh, worked with a number of those, um, both um, as a direct employee within the organization and also as a consultant to those entities. And I've been quite involved in capital markets for a number of years. So I've been involved in deals relating to SPACs and taking companies to the capital markets. Been involved in private companies going all the way to public. Um, I've also been a CFO of a computer consulting company that uh, was a pioneer in the field and ultimately exited them through the capital markets through a sale to public companies. So um, have a lot of background and a lot of bank um, awareness, knowledge, uh, institutional understandings. So way too much about me. I didn't hear as much about you. Why don't you tell, you, tell everyone a little bit about yourself, right? Sounds great, Alan. Yeah, I, I would tend to say you're... Um, You've been known in some of the situations you've, you've dropped into as kind of the fixer, if you will. <laughs> uh, situations that are kind of messy and uh, need, need, need to get addressed at a very high level. Um, and it usually does touch on regulatory things, SEC, uh, risk management, uh, designing products or structuring deals, um, all that kind of stuff. So it's going to be great uh, as we go forward uh, to, to, to hear some of this historical context. But then also to, as you said earlier, to put it in a position where people can use this today and in the future as they make uh, business and professional decisions. Uh, my background, um, you know, my my dad was an entrepreneur, small business guy. He owned a, a barber shop in the 50s and 60s, and he owned a A&W uh, restaurant in Sunnyvale before it was Silicon Valley. And I grew up in Silicon Valley before it was Silicon Valley. <laughs> um, so tech is in my bones. 
um, graduated from <clears throat> from the University of Washington with a degree in accounting, started Big 8 CPA in San Francisco, um, did about four and a half years there, and then went out and was an accounting software VAR for several years when this new thing called Novell Networks was around. So we didn't have to walk a floppy disk down the hall to share a file. And that really revolutionized accounting in the small business sector. Obviously, all on-premise, this is long before the internet and all that good stuff. Um, after being an accounting software VAR, I had a client recruit me out to be a senior controller, um, worked my way up, and was eventually a CFO. And the timing and geography was just right. It was the dot-com boom when I was in San Francisco and uh, CFO of, a, or EVP, technically uh, EVP finance of a uh, software company that closed a Series B uh, VC round. Um, after the blow up of, you know, 9-11 and 01, jumped out into the not-for-profit sector. After that, as a CFO. And after that, started doing CFO consulting work. And that eventually kind of, I backed into having an accounting firm, so a CPA firm. I'm a CPA. I'm also PFS CGMA um, licensed. And what I found is that a lot of the issues that were coming up either in say tax planning, deal structuring, debt structure, so on, operations, it all sourced from the accounting side. So I say people process tools. And so that's what our practice does today. Um, uh, and we'll talk more about that later. I want to keep going and get into some good meaty stuff. Um, so the thing that prompted us, Alan, we've been talking for years about, we just have good riff sessions. Usually, over usually with alcohol involved. So this is, you know, we've had we've had non-alcohol uh, included uh, discussions. And what over the last two days we've spent a fair amount of time talking. And uh, just for context, um, today is Sunday, March the twelfth, um, and uh, if Friday, March tenth. <laughs> was the day that Silicon Valley Bank uh, basically went into receivership. And yeah, so, can, I, can I interrupt you there for just a second? Yeah. Okay, I, I'm just going to make an observation here, okay? Um, yeah, I wanted to kind of know what was going on in the world. And so I did what I typically do. I go to the internet and I try to say, okay, what's trending now? Okay, and I look for what was trending now. And as it turned out, the number one thing trending was daylight savings time, Okay. <laughs> So here's here's what I was thinking, you know, okay, so yeah, that's important, right? But what was the second one? It was about SVB. And then I thought, you know, going back to what you're saying about March 10, I mean, what a weekend to have the FDIC trying to figure out what to do by Monday, because they're losing an hour. They could use that hour, you know? I mean, time is of the essence right now, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This is, this is, um, I, I feel this, I mean, I've, I've been through the 06, you know, I'm sorry, the 08 uh, meltdown, uh, 2001, um, you know, et cetera. And, and this one's different. Um, this one's, it's going to, it, those who think it's geographically focused are going to be, are going to have an awakening, I think, by the end of next week. Um, those who think that it's industry focused and that it's only going to affect tech and startup, um, this is going to have a larger ripple effect, I believe, when you look at investment portfolios. Um, we've talked about the relation with uh, crypto. It's a whole other episode, probably. Um, 
but this FR, this, um, I'm sorry, this, uh, 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 SDB, uh, uh, collapse is there's a lot of buzz going on in the finance world, professional, you know, accounting, tech, finance, startup world, and stuff like that. Um, but this is this is the beginning, and it's going to be a big a big shift, and it's going to require um, some very deft management to come out of this thing okay no doubt there's going to be winners and losers there's going to be people who are going to make a lot of money off of this situation and there's sure. people who are going to lose a lot of money off of this situation right. and so that's the kind of stuff we want to talk about here to to help in, get some insight and some ideas how about i just give you a little uh something that goes all the way back because you mentioned the financial crisis how about if i go back and just talk about something about what really got the financial crisis going yeah we can have an edited and unedited version if we yeah. want to jump to the stuff so yeah let's 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 go there that sounds let's, great let's, i'm gonna jump in and i'm just gonna go back to say something here about um and this goes back to when i was working on providing education at cal cpa education foundation teaching cpas um continuing education one of the things that i was working on was um, talking about convergence because the FASB was coming up and saying, hey, you know, we need to have standards that are really applicable across the world. And that seemed like a really good idea, something everyone can get behind. And they started to work towards that and they made significant uh, progress. So, I mean, a real testament to that is, first of all, um, AC 606, you know, revenue from um, contracts with customers and then IFRS 15 that aligns with that. I mean, they, they pretty much got IFRS and U.S. GAAP uh, pretty well aligned there. Um, another big change was ASC 842 on leases, and they brought that to the balance sheet. Okay, but prior to the actual financial crisis, which we started to see in 2008, there was another indicator of an issue that the SEC was dealing with, and that was really related to uh, loans related to um, subpar credit lending, effectively a lot of auto loans. Uh, there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of focus then at that time. And so it was autos, but what was brewing at the same time was a situation with banks overall. So if we go back to 2007 and we go back to Metropolitan Savings Bank out of Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania, their deposits and everything were taken over by Allegheny Valley Bank in Pittsburgh. Following that, and that was in February, following that in September, NetBank out of Alpharetta, Georgia, um, had all their deposits bought out by NG Direct, which was out of Wilmington, Delaware. And then in October, you had Miami Valley Bank from Lakeview, Ohio, that was taken over by Citizens Banking Corp. The whole point was there was a set of three, and I'm talking about this all happened in 2007. And then in 2008, we started to see even more banks starting to fail and get taken over. So there were banks that were failing way ahead, you know, three in 2007. And then you had, let's just say, maybe nine other banks that failed before you get to Lehman Brothers, which everybody knows. And people think, oh, it started at Lehman Brothers. It didn't start at Lehman Brothers. It started way earlier than that. And it had to do with subpar lending, 
think about lending and subpar lending is lending of risk, right? It started with people who got money who didn't pay it back. Okay. And then it also had a lot to do with what these financial institutions were investing in. If you buy an asset and that asset value drops, well, your balance sheet just got corroded and eroded, right? So what do you do? You have to make it up somewhere. Now you can make it up with making more money. That's going to help, right? But to make more money, maybe you have to take on more risk. So there's this really clear association about how much risk there is in the system. And you're also having to look back at when you see something fail, to your point, it may not be the last thing to fail. What starts out as something that seems relatively containable can get to the point where it's not containable. SBB is the second largest collapse in the U.S. ever. Washington Mutual being first. But think about this idea of the threes. What are the threes that we've seen? FTX, and I'm not going to say that's just U.S., but obviously there are a lot of people in the U.S. that lost money in FTX. We just had Silvergate right before SBB, and now we have SBB. Okay, and that's either the beginning of something or it's the it's the opportunity, right? It's the opportunity for change. It's the opportunity for correction. It's the opportunity to not necessarily just assess blame because it's really easy to come up and say, okay, we can assess blame. But we also have to look at like what really led to this. You know, why, why did this crisis, because this is a crisis right now, to your point, this impacts California. It can impact um, a lot further than um, California, you know, because SBB was a uh, institution that had a global footprint in many places. You know, so you think about Canada, you think about Germany, you think about China. I mean, they have involvements in, in Europe. I mean, there are other impacts because, again, who is going to pay the, you know, the balance sheet receivable? Because what is a, a loan on the bank's balance sheet? It's a receivable. How are they going to get that paid? And they have the liability to the customer, right? And that's the deposit side. But there's a lot of different sides of it. One part helps the other. And this uh, this can be a very large issue that can just have a lot of tentacles. Right. The, the S- Silicon Valley Bank uh, has a U- UK uh, entity, and that has been shut down. Um, so, you know, Monday morning... London, they're going to be unraveling this thing and, and over there. So, yeah, it, it, this is going to be quickly turn it turn worldwide, um, and it is going to expand beyond the tech industry. Um, it, it, a lot of portfolios have got exposure here, um, etc. Shanghai Pudong Development Bank, a fifty-fifty joint venture between um, basically. A U.S. entity with SVB and a Chinese entity. Okay, what happens whenever you have a fifty-fifty joint venture where one partner all of a sudden has a change in their liquidity position? Yeah, I mean, so it, it does have global impact. Yep, yep. Um, I I do want to say because of the timing here and that and the urgency, I want to save some of the history and the lead up and that and the alignment that got us here um that that, that's going to be a lot of material on that particularly as the fdic and the regulators kind of unravel this thing 
they're essentially going to be taking SVB's assets and selling them, you know, on the market and theoretically getting some pennies on the dollar, right? I mean, it's not going to be a hundred percent of what it's on their balance sheet for who, who would do that. And so, yeah, that, that's one possible thing, right? I mean, all, all okay. within what is the normal construct? And, and that's maybe part of the question. Maybe you're going that direction. Like what should happen here? Cause there's what you are allowed to happen. What is totally to the law says you should do this. We have certain amounts that are insured. We have certain amounts that are insured. You know, how do we uh, proceed? Well, we have the laws. Okay. But what really should happen here? <clears throat> right. So, well, let's talk about that a little bit because what we were saying in our in our conversation yesterday was that everybody under 250k is going to get paid off out of you know current liquidity and reserves and if the FDIC needs to step in under the FDIC insurance great but everybody under with, with account balances under 250k well you know insured account balances right if it's in a checking savings that kind of thing um if it's in a uh, brokerage type account, that's a whole different discussion. But okay, let, let, let's start right with that. With just okay, you put a put a ring fence around. If your deposits at SVB Bank um, are under two hundred fifty thousand, should you withdraw them immediately? Well, okay, great question. My my, if 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 I were the CFO of a company right now that had over that amount, absolutely, I'd take it out in a heartbeat. No, no, I'm just saying if it was two hundred fifty thousand less. Do you take it out? Yes, that's my answer. Okay. okay. What, 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 um, what's your opinion? Well, I mean, it. You would look at that and say, okay, uh, why would you, right? I right. mean, like, what what risk are you taking by leaving the money in? I mean, the FDIC says, hey, you know, here you have this. Uh, do you know what's going to happen tomorrow? Do you know what's going to happen Monday? Do you know what's going to happen Tuesday? What you do know is the FDIC is saying, hey, you know, if you want to take this money out of the bank, we'll help you. Here you go. So, yeah, I mean, as a, you know, what do you do now? If you have less than 250000 in that bank, um, you, can, you can decide that you want to leave it there, but um, it may be more prudent to say, well, maybe it's time to just find another uh, account in another bank. And this goes back to the winners losers that we were talking about, right? So that that is maybe the obvious for if it's under two hundred fifty thousand. Let's go to the next part about you know you got deposits that might have been in the millions there because you know that's your bank of choice, right? So it, I believe the next step is that FDIC basically issues paper says, okay, you know you let's say had two million bucks, so. You, you get FDIC paper, and then as they unwind that balance, basically liquidate the balance sheet, they can start redeeming that paper for cash to, to these account holders. Yeah, okay, so let's just go back into your experience. You, know, you have a round B, you raise that money, you got that money, now you have a responsibility to take care of the, uh, the people that are investors there. And so what you did is you put the funds into SVB, you're the CFO, right? Now, all of a sudden this happens, okay? And the balances in this scenario here, it's a hypothetical because we're not going back in time, but let's just say today you were the CFO and I'm just going to throw a number out there. You had 10 million in the bank. You're saying, mm -hmm. hey, I can get 250. So <laughs> now, right? 
Okay, so what are you going to do as a CFO? I mean, what are you going to be thinking about? What What are the options that, that come to mind? What would you do potentially? You got paper, well, right? Okay, well, yeah, right. I mean, there's two sides to look at this. And that one is, is what's my liquidity and access to cash? And then the other side is what's my demand and my need for cash and, and timing yeah. of it. Because it's all about at this point, it's all about timing, which right. ironically is what got SVB's, you know, but the vice is that they they had they they actually have a pretty good balance sheet, and from an investment perspective, it's just not liquid, and it needs time. It needs time to 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 come to fruition, and they had a run on the bank, and it was just it just all the alignment was just right, and they and it imploded. But from a you know managing a a, a company's cash flow at this point. You got to line those two things up. And I'll tell you the big one you keep hearing about is payroll, 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 payroll. And as it sits now, um, in fact, I just this morning had a uh, discussion on this topic with the uh, esteemed uh, Claudia Castillo from Resolve Employment Law. And she confirmed that, hey, look, there's nothing out there yet about uh, any kind of uh, relief on the laws, very stringent laws of paying payroll timely. Oh, wow, the, yeah. The, the government does not like it if you don't pay payroll within certain periods of time. And it you have to specify this. The longest you can go is 30 days, right? So yeah. if some companies do have monthly payroll, particularly if everybody's on salary and it's just a set thing and whatever, or, or, or say if they're on a commission. So let's say, okay, payroll's once a month. Pretty rare, What's most common is semi-monthly, yeah. you know, 15th and end of month. You can get some, you can get bi-weekly every two yeah. weeks. In construction trades, you usually have weekly payroll, right. but, but that's the cycle. There, there's going to be certain entities, startups, call them what, VC back, whatever, who are going to say, you know what, for my immediate cash needs, maybe the VC's got funds that they can help out on. Um, maybe I have investor calls that I can make and get some additional investors that can get me through the short term. Right. Maybe that helps. Like that, that is really like, what do I do for any kind of liquidity crunch? And hopefully they've had some sort of reserves just in case, just for normal cash flow. But again, some of these things are a level of sophistication. Remember, startups go through an evolution of we don't know anything. We do know our <laughs> product. We don't know anything about accounting. I mean, I've, I've seen that happen a right. few times, right? right. But right. but eventually, they're like, we don't know about treasury management. Maybe they're not prepared. And who's the backstop here? And what ends up happening? Now, you talked about if it's over 250000 the FDIC is going to give you paper, certificate, whatever it is, you know? And theoretically, that has a value because it's a potential receivable. You're going to get dividend, et cetera. So can you do that as a company? Can you say, hey, employees, what we're going to give you is we're going to give you a fractional interest in this piece of paper we got from the FDIC. As soon as that comes in, we're going to go ahead and clean up your payroll. Uh, it doesn't pay your mortgage, does it? No, doesn't. <laughs> doesn't I don't. I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think giving IOUs for payroll is not. Uh, does not make, uh, comply with the law. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. So, yeah, so that so that's okay. not going to work. So it's going to be, a, and, and to your point, you, you mentioned in there about in VCs or quite frankly, other investors having to fork over some cash in the short term to bridge c 
companies through this crisis. That's what's going to, that's what has to happen. You got to get your hands on cash. You got to pay certain things on time. And that's going to be starting with payroll. And then, you know, you, and, and, and the way that, the, where that money's going to come from is you either had a good, good treasury management where you were diversified across at least more than one bank, <clears throat> or if you're truly stuck and you were all in at SVB and you're truly stuck, it's now time for your shareholders to step up and they're, and, and you're, if it's VCs or if it's founders or whoever that is, and, and where you're going to have to get some cash together to get through this over the next couple of weeks, that's it. Those are the only choices. You know, jumping back into this thing about saying before how it started and going back to the history, I know you don't want to repeat a lot of this, but the whole point is, is once you start to have the cracks in the windshield, um, what happens is that crack gets bigger and bigger until finally the whole windshield collapses. Right. And this is a pretty big crack in the windshield. Yep. And so next week's obviously going to be very uh, intense and a lot of stuff's going to happen. It's going to be a whole nother world a week, you know, <clears throat> Friday afternoon, because we'll know a lot more of how this is going to play out. But meanwhile, um, you know, I always said that in the CFO seat, you, you don't get to sit and wait. Uh, you don't get to punt. You right. don't get to say, oh, I, I'm not going to, you know, not my job. You you got to handle whatever comes across your desk. You and this is, this is it. This is, this, this is the hand you've been dealt. You right. got to deal with it. And, you know, there's no doubt there's going to be other vendors. I saw that uh, Brex has been stepping up with a lot of uh capital i read a post from uh ramp you know ramp is the a really you know the cool fintech spend card um mm -hmm. ramp has announced that any you know anybody who has an svb problem you, you got to substantiate it right and then but they're going to be uh better terms more lenient on some of the cash flow issues to help people through this allow them to continue to spend and so on to, to get through this so so brex and ramp have already stepped up we're going to see other places stepping up that there's a marketing opportunity say hey come on over here open a bank or open an account with us or you know we can we can make you a, lo a, a bridge loan for 30 days or something to get you through that. There's going to be a lot of that going on. And and footnote, mark my words, there's also going to be a hell of a lot of fraud. <laughs> people people ginning up and, and cooking up fraudulent SVB bank statements and then floating those around and saying, hey, I have you know $10 million at SVB. Please give me a loan. <clears throat> and they're going to take that money and run. So we're going to have, there's going to be a fraud angle to this when all, when, when we, when this is all said and done and, you know, we're counting the dead bodies, that's going to be one of the, uh, the, the, the fatal, the, the collateral damage of this situation. But that's a, that's a different podcast. <laughs> well, yeah. And you know, the thing is, is that uh, SVB itself in its prior disclosures has talked about the issues about fraud that has occurred with them. So, um, and, you know, there's been there's been warnings too, saying, OK, when all of a sudden you take away the employees and the whole operations of the bank in, in many ways, are they doing their job? Does this open up an opportunity from hackers? Because, you know, banks uh, who wouldn't love to just go ahead and uh, 
help to issue out the uh, the deposits, right? Um, whatever. So right, I mean, right. there's there's other risks that could be happening that we don't even see. Well, yeah, there no doubt that you know basically FDIC is running the place over there. You know, come Monday morning, well, probably as of now anyway already, right? So yeah. there's no doubt that they're going to be making some sort of offer to the existing workforce at um, Silicon Valley Bank. It, it's got to be a multiple, right? 1.2, yeah. 1.4, 1.5 yeah. salary to hang around. Okay, so so let's uh, let's talk about that because we talked about you know depositors have things that they need to do right away, which is you got to find a, li- a liquid source, a cash source, something to take care of the operational business issues. And if you can't, uh, you're in serious trouble. You know, if if no one's going to step up for you. Um, you know, you need to be making some calls to some other places, right? Right. Um, you, you've got a, a very big problem on your hands. And that ripples through the California economy. That ripples through the U.S. economy. That ripples through the global economy. So this is a serious, serious uh, problem that needs to be solved. And, you know, it's got the attention of Gavin Newsom. It's got the attention of Joe Biden. It's got the attention of Janet Yellen. I mean, those are important decision makers in the situation and they need to understand just how bad the reaction can be from the u.s public who is disseminating information now through social media faster than ever and the biggest risk overall is yielding to fear right the entire bank system if you begin to really fear that it isn't really something we can rely on. Um, you know, like I've said, I, I think if you spend all your money, um, you don't have to worry about losing money because of the bank, right? <laughs> it makes it simple, but that's not possible for most people. They really rely on, okay, I need the bank because I have to process payments to these people, that people, whatever. All of a sudden, what's happening with wire transfers? Um, you know, there's a lot of loan receivable. There's people that are supposed to be paying their loans, you know, and they're supposed to be paying those back. I mean, what if they just say, hey, you know, I'm just going to wait a little bit to pay that back. And why would they wait? Maybe they don't have the cash to pay that back. You know, I mean, because think about how they needed cash coming from different places. I mean, it's the, the amount of how it interfaces. It, it just is. It's amazing. I start thinking about this, for example. You think about how many employees SBB has, and then you think about how many connections there are in Silicon Valley. You hear about this seven degrees of separation. How many degrees of separation in California is there from SVB? I think it might be two, maybe max three for almost everybody in California. Yeah. Probably within just two to three of your connections, you're going to hit someone who has an involvement with SVB. Yeah. Hmm. Um. Uh, uh, interestingly, as a footnote, Friday in I, I, I we're we're cloud. My firm we're cloud based and paperless. You know, we do all we do all of our payments electronically. I you I, I pretty much demand that my clients pay by ACH, etc. Um. I, I am the treasurer of a of a small not-for-profit that I'm a member of just, you know, to help them out. And um, yesterday in the mail, I got from one of our members renewing their dues, a paper check 
which already drives me up the wall. But from First Republic Bank, it's obviously from the company's the client, but the bank is First Republic Bank. So I got a check on Friday from written against FRB. And I'm like, what the hell do I do with this? Well, I'm, I'm going to deposit it through the phone app and just hope it goes through. But you'd expect it would, right? It, it, but it just, it, it cracks me up in that, to your point, uh, how many degrees of separation in the Bay Area? It is probably two. In California, you're right. The most three it, in the U.S. can't be more than four. Anyway, so yeah, this this the, the regulators are going to have to come in in a very strong way, um, and and reassure the market. Um, the concept of contagion was been talked about a lot on Friday afternoon, evening, and Saturday on like CNBC had a lot of information about that. And and there's already been lists of, you know, 10 other banks with similar uh, profiles of they're all, everybody's talking about the investments and the, and the liquidity issues. And they're also talking about the percentage of demand deposits above 250,000, et cetera. And how SVB is kind of an outlier in a lot of these statistics. Um, but you take that stat, that metric, and you go, okay, now let's go rank all the other banks. And anybody who has a profile that even leans in that direction, all of a sudden they're getting looked at. They're, people are getting worried. Should I pull my money out? And these runs... Like it, 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 it spreads like the virus. Like, you know, we just dealt with the virus. It spreads like a virus pretty damn quick. So we, they got to have, they got to tamp this down quickly. Assure the market. Yeah. And there were people lined up in front of banks in California. And I don't want to name names, but definitely in California, there were people lined up on Saturday morning um, and they were, they were pulling money out and they may have not been anywhere near 250. doesn't matter. You know, I mean, just yeah. the fact that, that these, you know, the, the law of small numbers applies here as well. I mean, we're talking right. about the big depositors, but if you added up all these small numbers and what ends up happening with banks across the country, if people say, you know what, uh, putting money under the mattress isn't such a bad idea, uh, you know, and I better go well, grab what I have in the, in the bank right now out because I just don't know what's going to happen to the entire banking system. Again, this is fear. Right. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's that that that's a whole nother thing, right? Now we got a high inflation environment. And you got cash. You got you know, Benjamin sitting in your dresser drawer. It's like, come on, that's 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 not a that's not a good move. But I hear what you're saying. It doesn't it doesn't need to be rational, right? There's so much of the market movement and stuff that happens in economics is psychological, not technical, right? So, um, to so that regard, you know, a high interest rate environment. And then where is that cash going to go? If you're going to take the money out of the bank, I mean, could this give the bump to back to crypto because it's been suffering coming into this? Or does the, does the crypto side take more of a hit because of how much SVB was involved with directly and indirectly in the crypto market? Right. And it's yeah, a whole nother episode in depth. But right. yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> good questions. But let's go back. I mean, crypto gets into a lot of complexities and it's not easy to understand. And and uh, neither is banking. But one thing about banking to understand is that the reason why a bank run is a risk is because the bank can't just sit on the deposit. Right. That doesn't do any good at all. They have to use it 
and they have to earn money from it. And so that's why the net interest margin is, you know, widely looked at, um, you know, factor that, that is analyzed all the time. Now, thinking about interest rates overall, you know, you go back 200 years, what was the average interest rate? It's going to be closer to like 6%. But in the U.S., we've had times whenever the interest rates have been a lot higher than that, 15%, 16% in the past, right? Now we're just inching back towards the 5 6 area overall. Um, we're not going to count credit cards. That's a whole other, you know, uh, topic. But um, you think about that and you think about what's going on with the Fed moving in that direction. It's not really extremely out of the ordinary for them to be moving in that direction on the basis of looking at what's happened over the last 200 years. But whenever you put it into the context of we've just come out of a period where there's an incredible stimulation to the economy through the COVID programs and the response by the government, you have to factor that into then why did we see all these other economic events occur? And, you know, what do you do with all that stimulus? And what do you do as far as using interest rates? If the interest rates continue to move up, part of this has been, you know, a question of what does the impact of interest rates have on the economy? What is the impact of interest rates on banks? And there's a lot of correlation between those two. And so the banks have to really have an understanding of where interest rates are going to go in order for them to properly invest in the environment. The more confusion there is and the more uncertainty there is, the harder their job becomes to manage their money properly and wisely and prudently. You know, so the whole thing is, is that when we talk about contagion, and we talk about the masses, you know, we were at risk in the 2008 financial crisis. And, you know, it took very, very large amounts of money to stabilize the system. This is not quite the situation as far as we see it right now, but it is not really contained. And talking about how it's isolated and they are just a small uh, part of the overall money system. Now, that may be true from a number standpoint. But again, if you go back to what I'm talking about as far as separation, you talk about impacts. I mean, think about how much California produces in the GP of the U.S. And think about how much the U.S. supports economies of the entire world. I mean, this is this is a crack in the windshield. But what is the windshield we're talking about? It's one that we don't want to see that crack end up destroying the windshield. Yeah, it's the, it's the, it's it's ultimately it's the global economy, and you know everything's been setting up for. Been ta- people have been talking about recession for a while now, a couple of years since. You know, the pandemic was a different time. It 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 stoked a bunch of uh, mon- a bunch a bunch of monetary policy and fiscal policy that put money out in the system that was that was artificially cheap essentially right it didn't cost you anything to have cash and that cash need to find a home and then because of the shutdown supply chain issues we know this story right and then you end up with too much demand for too few goods and you end up with inflation and here we are so going forward um the impact of this is on, on the on the liquidity of the market. That cash, ha- this cash has to go somewhere now, right? That the, the it's tied up 
with SVB, again, we talked earlier about it's just a timing issue, but it has to go somewhere. And I, I personally would be long on, I would look down the list of, of banks that are going to position themselves well in this crisis, both from a technical perspective, but also from a PR perspective, and also from a marketing perspective. Are they going to offer special products? So are they going to come out and say, hey, you, you somehow substantiate that you have these accounts and we will immediately, within 48 hours, get you a line of credit so that you can pay your payroll, so that you can pay, you know, whatever other urgent bills that you have and get you through that. And we're going to fast track you through an onboarding process, a, a AML, KYC, you know, other vetting and just within a limited scope. And maybe we're going to have to get your attorneys and your CPAs involved to help substantiate who you are. Oh yeah. They've been my client for, you know, 10 years. You know, I know they're good. And you start having these personal relationships with bankers. They're going to push this stuff through, but it's going to have to, you get a bank that comes up with a process like that and offers products like this to those affected. And that's going to reassure the market. It's going to provide the needed liquidity. It's going to get them through that. And those banks are going to gain very loyal customers. And that could be a big win. You're going to see some banks pop, I think, uh, on an upside because of this, if they handle it correctly. So winners and losers, going back to what you mentioned before. Yeah. Okay. So take um, take a potential winner or loser. Um, call a regional bank who says, you know what, we'd love to have some of the clients um, that uh, SVB had. And we'd love to take over 100% of whatever their contractual relationships were with SVB. Does the FDIC actually allow that? Okay, because here's where here's where right. I'm going with this, right? I mean, SVB prided itself with being a lender to the innovation economy. Okay, and then what was the way that they actually ended up showing, you know, nice pops, uh, nice pops in their revenue, nice pops in their bottom line? Uh, a lot of it had to do with exits of those companies that they had loaned to in the public right. markets. Okay, right. so we go back here and we look back over the last, call it 12 to 16 months, what's happened with the SPAC market? I mean, how many of these uh, blank check companies out there have been holding on to cash and don't have anywhere to go with it, right? So um, would they be able to um, find a way to be involved, as an example? And, and I'm not providing any solutions here. I'm just saying that just think about we're looking at a big liquidity thing. And so then think about the hedge funds. That are out there would they like to be involved in trying to get involved um, with this because here's what's we talked about the balance sheet of svb here's what's not on the balance sheet of svb and this is actually something that should be looked at as having value that needs to be understood svb has awareness and has details on intellectual property if they are lending to these innovative companies, they have a pretty good understanding of where they're going. They could go over this list and go, okay, 
I'm going to tell a hedge fund which ones you really want out of these innovation companies, right? I'm going to tell you, okay, this one, they're working on this, but, you know, ah, you don't want them. I mean, right. I, I had them over on a series, you know, D or whatever, you know, I, I know what they, I know who they are, you know, but this one over here, they've got this whiz kid from, uh, you know, wherever, and they're doing this and we don't even know what this is, right? I mean, think about how much of the U.S. technology footprint that exists in the U.S. and think about how many employees are out there um, that have been touched over the last 39 years from their involvements with SVB. Just think about it. So think about how much intellectual property is resident within the minds and within the documents and understandings of SVP, and it's not on the balance sheet. It's That's not right. on the balance sheet at all because of the accounting rules, right? This right. raises up the whole question about how do we value intellectual property? Well, now we're going to get a chance to possibly see what that value is, except we're not if it's not understood and if it's not sold, and if it's not borrowed against. I mean, if if the if that entire package of value was somehow assimilated and properly valued, what would it be worth? If you could bring an intellectual property value to the balance sheet of SVB, what would it be worth? Well, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to find out, but with the caveat of a fire sale, right? <laughs> so so, so let, let's, to your point, that part of the deal structure that SVB did, and I've not only seen it, but I've been involved firsthand is that, you know, they'll often take warrants. And I mean, you know, this, you, you've helped them, the other side structure, some of these kinds of deals. So, you know, they, 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 they've got uh, skin in the game in multiple directions. And that was part of the problem there is that it was the, 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 the risk, the concentration of risk. It was the, that triangle between the VCs, Silicon Valley bank and the company, the tech startup company. Mm -hmm. And so they, the, the VCs were parking cash at Silicon Valley Bank, but they were also borrowing money from Silicon Valley Bank. The tech companies were out raising money and the VCs were being equity investors in the tech company. So they'd give them 10, 20 million bucks. And then they'd say, okay, but go put that money at SVB. It was kind of part of the deal. It was everybody knew, everybody understood. Whether I don't know if it was written in or not written in, but either way, everybody knew what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do, right? Um, the auditors would get away with it, and they'd just say, "Oh yeah, we put a footnote in the cash in the cash paragraph." You know, if they have a money in excess of FDIC insurance and blah blah blah. They'll get one of those paragraphs and cut and paste it in that that audit report, right? And everybody just skipped along, all fine, and it worked great for thirty some odd years, right? To your point, thirty five plus years. Well, it works until it doesn't, and you know, and then and then the bank. It has a co total conflict of interest because now they're lending money to the VCs. They're getting money from the VCs. They're getting referred the portfolio client from the VCs. The VC, the, the, the client, the company startup, tech startup is banking at Silicon Valley Bank. And then they're going through the IPO and doing stuff. And Silicon Valley Bank is jumping on the ride and getting warrants on the back end. So now they got an equity holder. This triangle is a closed loop. But what you end up with is a complete concentration of risk 
And nobody saw it that way because they saw these different separations. They go, well, you know, so what if one of these companies goes bankrupt, which happens a lot of times with startups, right? They never, they don't make it to IPO. The next best thing is if they make it to an acquisition. Okay, great. But a lot of them either die on the vine or they, man, maybe they do get acquired, but they get acquired for, you know, 10 cents on the dollar because it just didn't work, right? So some of these things don't pay off. They felt the diversification of that risk is, yeah, but I got a hundred or a thousand or 5,000 of these. One or two or five or 10 go bad. Who cares? All I need is that one or two to pop and we'll make up the difference plus more. And that worked great for a long time, you know, un un until it didn't, until you had this run. Yeah. When you, when you talk about the triangle, I think that you are 100% identifying some of the connections the synod that goes between these different operations and how they all kind of tie together. One of the things that, um, that I express it as is like the 360 view. If you can take the 360 view and say, how does all this come around in the circle and how does it all tie together? Then you can get an understanding a little bit about why it's so critical that the right actions take place right now. It's really, really important because if you just think about, if you were to do um, like Google Maps, 30 years ago of Silicon Valley, and you look at that, and you jump to now, and you look at that, what you see is a development that is something America should be proud of. You know, something that, that is just incredible about how tech and innovation has changed the economy of the U.S., okay? And what's at risk here is not saying that that can't continue, but if it's going to continue in a different form, now this 360 relationship that you're talking about, how, you know, as long as everyone's winning, right, everyone's winning with their piece. If you think about it, it's one really big arrangement. It's a big deal, and everybody's making their piece of it, and they're also contributing their part of it. Now, whenever you start to split this off into banks that never were able to compete in this area before, couldn't, they walked away from it. They said, we can't compete with SVB, and they were right. A number of companies looked at SVB's financials and were like, oh, my gosh, these guys are making money. Uh, we need to do what they're doing. But they couldn't. You know why they couldn't? Because they couldn't build that 360 um, circle of friends and family and relationships that it took to allow the innovation to occur. So, you know, when you hear people like, for instance, from Y Combinator coming out saying, hey, this is a, a risk to the innovation economy. You're right. When you hear somebody like Sam Altman coming along saying, hey, something needs to be done here, you're right. Because they these people know how SVB has helped them. And these people are aware of what the real impact's going to be. I mean, uh, you know, what do you do when your rich uncle dies? You know, you can't ask for an ice cream cone anymore, you know? Right, right. Yep, yep. Um yeah, yeah, it it it's uh it it it's it's interesting as as the as the story goes um that uh SVB was ideated it was it, it was it was conceptually conceived right in in Silicon Valley um uh by Bill Biggerstaff and Robert Medarius, who came up with the idea over a game of poker, right? 
in 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 the early eighties. Um, kind of ironic, kind of interesting, right? That it was it was a poker game how, how this thing started. Um, but as it, it, the and the time the concept and the timing was perfect as technology and Silicon Valley was growing up. That, that this was the bank that could grow with it because traditional banks didn't understand tech, didn't understand, they would look at a conventional set of financials. And you hit on this concept earlier, Alan, I'm going to poke into this a little bit about how U.S. GAAP does not properly value intellectual property. But the VCs knew early on, and I'll give you a couple of really great examples Amazon. Amazon lost money for years and decades, and they got hammered by Wall Street. Nobody understood. What they were building was infrastructure. They were building customer base. They were improving processes. They were investing in technology to be incredibly efficient for people to buy anything and get it quickly and get a great price. And when they finally kind of had that done and they, and they would stop investing into customer acquisition, and they could now just run the machine. Boy, you saw some real profit drop to the bottom line. You saw some real cash flow being generated. And all of a sudden, everybody goes, oh, my God, Amazon's this and that. And it went through the roof. But if you look at the first, I don't know, 10 years or so of Amazon, it, it wasn't that way. And it wasn't it wasn't perceived that way in the market, right? And so the VCs understood this, and but the traditional banks didn't. So they just made their own bank. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just parlay into what you just said about Amazon. I'll, I'll give you some other thoughts to go into Amazon. Okay, everyone knows the story about how um, there was this relocation of Jeff Bezos coming out to, you know, Washington, right? I mean, you had West, young man, right? I mean, because same thing, Mark Zuckerberg comes out to Silicon Valley. Jeff Bezos goes to, um, you know, Washington. And... Uh, you know, Elon Musk is somebody who came out of California as well. So, uh, you know, as far as the money with PayPal, et cetera, and, you know, Peter Thiel, same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, these you, you trace all these people. But let's go back to Amazon's a bookseller, right? And they have to figure out a good way to do the sales of books. And so what do they need? They need a really good e-commerce platform. What does that require? It requires engineers, no software. Okay. Now, as that is getting built out, there could have been an innovation company that was focusing on how do I build the best e-commerce platform? Now that company might not have been public, but Amazon may have known about that company, may have brought them into the fold and may have been relying on them. Okay, now just take that as an example. Amazon now, you can buy practically anything on Amazon. And if you don't believe that, take the Amazon challenge. I have something you can't find on Amazon. And then let's see, it'll probably show up 30 days later because you like tried to find it. Point being here, that there's a lot of other companies, companies that are public, that are right now using on a test basis, potentially even more integrated than that, companies that have not come public that have been financed by SVB or the VC community. Those companies that are providing those services, if they go under, what ends up happening to the company that's been trying to incorporate this with the idea that they're gonna be around for a long time and we can go ahead and bring this into um, into how we do our entire build of what we're doing for serving customers. So think about fintech companies, right? A lot of fintech companies out there trying to get a different piece of the market, and they're relying on software that's being developed by innovation companies that are funded and 
and supported by VC communities that are tied to the SVB. There's a lot more going on in this whole intellectual property space of developed and undeveloped and yet to be developed um, software that is critical to deployment. So you, it's it's really a question of how do you preserve that? Because think about the contributions that California has made to the GDP. Again, Silicon Valley has made to um, California. Think about the tax base. Think about the payroll taxes that get paid. Think about the real estate taxes that are getting generated from municipalities. I mean, if you're not worried about the fallout here, um, you should be. Absolutely. A ab ab absolutely. Um, so coming back in, let's br bring this back around. Um, and then I think we're probably bumping up close to an hour here. Yeah, we are. Look at that. Look how that happened. I, I don't know. Flies. I don't know. We're, we're going to have to have another uh, another uh, podcast soon. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> it feels like we're just scratching the surface here. We are. And I think what I think what, what we're doing, and we've talked about this before, is to take any one of these topics and to drill in deeper on it um, uh, in, in particular. But I, I think to wrap up, to, you know, give the overarching what we've talked about is this has happened before. You went back to a previous crisis and how a couple of years before it was leading up to it. And, and that's pretty true. It's interesting with a lot of black swan events. People go, oh, God, it, you know, I never saw that coming. And then all of a sudden they start digging through and looking through the data. And it was there. The, the signs were there. We just didn't recognize them. The, you know, and so... And, and there's stuff that's going to happen tomorrow that's going to be the same way. So as a, as a professional, as a business owner and an entrepreneur and an and advisor to businesses, that's part of what we need to do is we need to think about what are some of these risk vectors? How do we diversify against it? And what does it take? And you know what? Oftentimes, diversification is going to make it look like you're leaving money on the table. You're not maximizing profit. And you know what? You're absolutely right. Because risk has a cost. Um, particularly when it goes against you. <laughs> so that, that sword cuts both ways. And, you know, um, that that's the big lesson is to remember that. And then to implement that. Um, so what that means all of a sudden, and I've been involved in those companies where we had huge concentrations of cash at a particular bank, you're not going to see that anymore. You're going to start to see people with 20, 30, 40 banks. And now that we have the internet and online banking, it's a lot easier to do that, right? So that's going to be a big change that we're going to see. Treasury management. You know, it sounds like a startup idea to me. <laughs> well there, there's plenty of banks in the u.s there's god there's yeah like, let's think about it. you line up 40 of them and say give me your 10 million deposit and i'm going to load it up under these 40 right here yeah. and uh and i'll give you a certificate of uh, insurance for the remainder that's not covered by fdic above the limit right and then yeah. your risk is pretty low because by the time they burn through 40 times 250 you're in a pretty good spot um yeah that that's one okay, the other one 60 all right <laughs> there you go the, the the other one is um i, I was researching out because I'm, I'm obviously right in the middle of this i was researching out and i'm not going to say the bank yet 
but maybe tomorrow, um, is that uh, there's a product that does an overnight sweep up to $1.25 million that's FDIC insured up to $1.25 million because they're sweeping out into other accounts every night. So your money might be back at the bank for the day, but it sweeps out at night and that kind of refreshes it and cleans it. So it keeps, it keeps it keeps the risk away, right? So you're going to be above the 250. You can keep you at a, that particular bank, but mitigate that risk because of how their sweet product works and that they're, and that they're using basically co-insurance through other banks in a sweet sweep account. And you're getting, I think today it was from yesterday, it was like three and a quarter percent interest. Not bad. Um, but you're going to see CFOs and treasurers becoming more valuable in this area. And all of a sudden, all right, let's get back into the discipline of laddered treasuries. You know, every 90 days, you're going to have a, a chunk of cash that's going to be linked to it to treasuries and they're going to come due yeah. and that that's going to be your base of operation that you know you can count on you're just going to go back to basics yeah and and there's uh, there's risk to the innovation economy that happens with that too right because all of a sudden instead of investing in the future you're investing in the short-term return um and, and so that that's what i'm saying is there's a lot of impacts that just have to be thought through on this i know that we're coming up to the time sounds like that uh entity you're talking about has a really great solution i'm sure they'd be happy to be a sponsor of this podcast I, i'll let you work on that i'll i'll be working on that that sounds great <laughs> um so alan any other uh closing comments of people like what what should people do this probably isn't even going to post until mid next week but you yeah. know by the time this gets out into the public as a as a podcast um any other final closing thoughts? You know, it's going to be a, a few days out and next week. So let's just say mid-March through the end of March. What should people be thinking about and doing? Well, I think that they need to take stock of their personal situation, number one. I mean, if you are an employee of SVB, you need to have a resume. It's up to date. You need to be firing that all over the place. And there will be places that will be willing to hire you. Not, um, I mean, there are a lot of great employees that are at SVB, and, you know, they – they are well worth um, given consideration. Um, this, the, the crazy thing about this is a, a run on the bank could happen to any particular financial institution just by the very structure of banks. So think about your risk with the bank overall. Think about that relationship. And is it working for you today? Will it be working for you tomorrow? Think about that a lot. And then, um, you know, look, interest rates are going up. So get in front of your debt cut back on other areas and start cutting down your debt because it's going to cost you a lot to keep that debt. Yep. Yeah. I think that's a, a some good points. Uh, your first one is as an employee, how does there as a worker, how does this affect you and your career and your, your, your income stream? The second point I think is as an investor, um, you know, if you own SVB stock or if you own any, if you own any single, any single bank stock, be careful. Diversify it around, right? Or any company. Forget about just the banking industry. You can't have over concentrations of risk. We, we, we've learned time and again, diversification in the long run is a great thing, right? Um, and then if you're neither an employee in, the, in that industry, if you're not an investor in that segment, um, 
you can learn from that and at least have that one step removed and that it's not going to radically affect your life, but it should be a good moment lesson for reflection to go, hmm, it's time to take stock again and to make the necessary moves to diversify and to uh, be aware of concentration risks and things like that. So, um, and then the final piece, I think, on my side would be CFOs, financial professionals, accountants, and other advisors, they really need to be in touch with their clients, with their companies to identify these same issues. But the immediate need is cash flow. And if you got it elsewhere on your balance sheet, great. You can meet your obligations. If you don't, you need to go find it. The fastest way might be to talk. You should be doing a parallel tracks, talking to existing investors, but then also go out and talk to other banks and lenders and financial institutions that might be able to help you through this, whether it's like a, a, a Brex or a ramp on a spend side, or whether it's an actual bank that may have some sort of bridge product that they're going to be spinning up over this weekend and la- launching early next week to, to, to get bridge, bridge uh, uh, cash flow in to get through this crisis. But this is a, 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 a going to be a cash flow crisis for a few people, and you just got you just got a deal. And at the end of the day, do not blow out all your cash on anything. In my opinion, just you know, whatever. If it were me, if I if I were making this decision, I were in, in that position, and it was all the cash I had to make payroll. Personally, I would not make that payroll. I would live with that penalty later, because you got to keep some powder dry as things go along. So that, those would be my closing comments as we wrap up here. All right. Well, it's as always, Ray, a lot of fun to get into these topics. And uh, hopefully it's helpful for our listeners as well. I, sounds great. And I guess we should announce uh, the name. We, we came up with a name and we've actually got the URL. We don't have the site up yet, but by the time this all gets produced, hopefully we can have the site up. Um, you want to unveil that? No, and no. How you, you and, and how? I'll sorry. I'll unveil it, and then I'll let, let you do a quick a quick bit on the concept behind it. Okay. Right. So, um, uh, we we came up with avoid crisis. Um, I think we might have mentioned this at the beginning. Yeah. So yeah. avoid avoidcrisis.com. and uh, it obviously relates to business, it relates to finance, but it relates to a lot of other areas in life as well. Um. So, Alan, we, we we riffed on that pretty good yesterday. I would yeah. give you give you some what what give your thought hear your thoughts on that. Well, you know, if you want to avoid crisis in life, one of the things you have to do is you have to think a lot about the the what ifs. What if this happened? You know, what if that happened? What are the risks? And to avoid crisis, I mean, certain things are unavoidable. But when you talk about avoid crisis, a lot of it comes down to the decisions that you're making every day. You make decisions that are good decisions and you continue to get the benefits of those good decisions. Um, if you make a bad decision, it may take a number of good decisions to unwind that, right? Um, so there's a lot of different issues that we have in that we can talk about and we will talk about, which are really about, we see this potential crisis coming. How do you work on avoiding it now? Um, and then obviously, you know, what steps do you need to take? This is a good example right now. It's a financial one is what it appears, but it goes well beyond financial because 
um, there's going to be a lot of impacts to people's lives. It's going to require change. What existed a week ago doesn't exist anymore in the same form. And it's going to morph into a, a lot of other things. And we're just going to have to adapt as we go forward. But that's uh, that's the goal of the podcast is to talk about topics that are relevant to the listeners and to be able to you know provide our thoughts of just how we're thinking about it and thinking about possibilities. And so hopefully it's interesting content for everyone and they, uh, they're going to continue to listen in. Sounds great. Wonderful. Nothing more to add to that. That was great. I I love it. And I'm really looking forward, Alan, to, uh, to uh, producing more shows, more content coming up with ideas. And of course, listeners, you're welcome to send in your ideas. We're happy to do some research. Who knows? I'm sure in the future we may have guests come on and stuff like that as the topics evolve. But uh, avoid crisis. All right. Thanks, Alan. Take care. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.